Well, good morning, Life Church. It's good to see everybody this morning. My name is Pastor Matt. If this is your first time here, we are so glad that you've joined us this morning. So glad that you would come and explore and search out God for yourself. And we just want to make sure that you feel welcome this morning. I hope that you do. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, but there's some wonderful people here. And uh, we're so glad that you're here. I hope you get to meet a lot of them. Um, I am uh, one of the pastors here at the church. I am a, um, what can I tell you about myself that you might not know? I'm a drummer. Did you know that? Yeah, I play the drums too. That's where I started. My parents forced me to take three years of piano lessons. Thank you, mom and dad. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, and they told me you're going to regret quitting. And yes, I do regret quitting. You were right. My 11-year-old self says, you're right. I'm sorry. I should have stuck with it. And after three years, they let me quit. They said, you can take any instrument you want. And I said, I'm going to be a drummer. And they're like, really? <laughs> yeah. So I took drum lessons, and then I learned the guitar. So there you go. Now you know something about me you didn't know before. And I'm a diehard Canucks fan. You know that. Yeah. So playoffs, come on, guys. you got to win tonight. Um, but really excited that you're here with us this morning. We're continuing our series this morning on the book of Ezekiel, or as I like to call him, Zeke. Uh, yeah, Zeke. And so what we're going to do this morning, here's how we're going to tackle this this morning. We've got a lot of material to get through. And in order for us to understand what is being said here, we're going to go ahead and just do a power read together. Okay, so I need you to put your scholar hat on and open up your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 1, verse 26 is where we're going to start. I'm going to have the words on the screen here because I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. So the Bible I have open here is the New King James. I'm going to be reading from the New Living just so that we all kind of understand and just to give you a context of what we're going to be reading here, this is um, two visions that Ezekiel gets from God, as well as the call of God that is upon his life after that bizarre vision that he had in verse one, in chapter one. Okay, so we're going to be reading about that, and then what we'll do is we're going to pray. Then I really feel like God's given me a great word out of this for you today. I'm really excited to share it with you. So you guys with me? Okay, here we go. So we're going to start in Ezekiel. We're going to do a lot of reading right now, so just follow me. And we're doing excerpts. I'm not going to take it line by line. We're going to do excerpts in the interest of time. You're welcome to go back and read this afterwards. So Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 26 says, Above this surface was something that looked like a throne made of blue lapis and lazuli. Good, nice words. And on this throne, high above, was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. And from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like a gleaming amber flickering like a fire. And from his waist down, he looked like a burning flame shining with splendor. All around him was a glowing halo, like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. When I saw it, I fell down on the ground, and I heard someone's voice speaking to me. Ezekiel 2, verses 1 through 5. Stand up, son of man, said the voice. I want to speak to you. The Spirit came into me as he spoke, and he set me on my feet, and I listened carefully to his words. Son of man, he said, I am sending you to the nation of Israel, a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me, and they and their ancestors have been rebelling against me to this very day. They are a stubborn and hard-hearted people, but I'm sending you to them to say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And when they listen or whether they refuse to listen for uh, and, and whether they listen or refuse to listen for remember they are rebels at least they will know that they have had a prophet among them moving forward Ezekiel 2 6 to 10 son of man do not fear them or their words don't be afraid even though their threats surround you like nettles and briars and stinging scorpions do not be dismayed by their dark scowls even though they re they are rebels you must give them my messages whether they listen or not and they won't listen. 
for they are completely rebellious. Son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not join them in their rebellion. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And then I looked, and I saw a hand reaching out to me, and it held a scroll, which he unrolled. And I saw that both sides were covered with funeral songs, words of sorrow, and pronouncements of doom. Ezekiel 3, 1 through 4. The voice said to me, Son of man, eat what I'm giving you. Eat this scroll, then go and give its message to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me the scroll. And he said, Fill your stomach with this. And when I ate it, it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. And then he said, Son of man, go to the people of Israel and give them my messages. Reading on. You guys doing okay? It's a lot of scripture. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 9. Okay, we're going to fast forward here. I, I, I have made your forehead as the hardest, hard as the hardest rock. So don't be afraid of them or fear their angry looks, even though they are rebels. Then he added, son of man, let all my words sink deep into your heart first. Listen to them carefully for yourself. Then go to your people in exile and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Do this whether they listen or not. Moving forward again to Ezekiel 22 verse 27, last vision. Then the Lord took me and said, get up and go into the valley and I will speak to you there. So I got up and went and there I saw the glory of the Lord just as I had seen him in my first vision by the Kabar River. And I fell flat on the ground. Then the spirit came into me and set me on my feet. And he spoke to me and said, go to your house and shut yourself in. And there, son of man, you will be tied with ropes. We'll say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Those who choose to listen will listen. But those who refuse will refuse for they are rebels. Dun, dun, dun. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's living and active. We thank you that there is no lost words here, Lord God, that every word in this book will set out, it will accomplish what it is set out to do, and it will not return void. And God, we just pray in Jesus' name that you'd give us supernatural insight into your word to what you're saying. Help us to discover who you are in this passage and also to discover who we are in light of you, Lord God. We love you, Lord Jesus. Use me as your vessel to speak your words in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that you don't know how to get out of? I mean, have you ever been there where you say something and as soon as you say it, you realize, oh, that was really dumb. And then you got to try and back it up and you just feel this doesn't happen to me as much as it used to when I was younger. But I would have conversations with people and I would talk to them about certain things and I'd make a statement and they go, oh, really? And then I knew I was in trouble because I didn't have anything to add on to it. Have you ever been in that situation before? Have you ever experienced that when you're witnessing about Jesus? I have a confession for you. I experience this all the time. The reason is I'm a very detail-oriented person. I'm very logical. I love to think things through from the very beginning to express the entire idea. And so often what will happen is I'll be in a conversation with somebody, and we'll be talking, and then it'll come up, and they'll be like, what do you do? And I'm like, "Ah, I'm in real estate, but I'm also, I'm a pastor. Oh, a pastor. What does that look like? And then I'll start throwing something out of them. Well, it just means that I follow God and I love him. Well, what does that mean? And then next thing you know, I'm in it. I am in it. And I'm like, well, it's, it's about this man named Jesus. And he's actually not just a man, but he's also God. And, and, and it's about God the Father who had his son Jesus that came to the earth. But they're more like one. They're not like two. They're like one. And then they have the Holy Spirit, which makes up something called the Trinity. And then I'm like, oh, boy. Where am I going with this? 
And actually, he's not really man. He's actually God, but he's also a man and he's God. So he's fully man and he's fully God. That's called the dog. And then I'm gone. And then I'm just, I'm lost. Because let's be honest, this message of the, of the scriptures, this message of salvation is kind of a tough message. And then he came and he died. But how can a God die? But he died because he was man. And then he rose again from the dead. You get where I'm going with this. It's a tough message. It's a tough message for us to speak. I think this is a lot like what Ezekiel was experiencing with the message that God had given him. It was a tough message. And in order for us to understand kind of the context of where he was and, and what he might have been feeling. I need to give you a little bit of background here because I don't want to assume that you were here last week or that you were here for the minor prophet sermons in the summertime. So I want to give you a little bit of background of what's going on with Ezekiel because his experience starts with an encounter with God. So let's back up a little bit. Let's rewind back to what the beginning of this whole thing was. See, Ezekiel was likely written between uh, 593 and 571 B.C. during the exile of the Israelites in Babylon. He was in training to be a priest during the first Babylonian attack on Jerusalem. Now, why is that important and why is Babylon attacking Jerusalem? Let's rewind back and let's start here. So God had a chosen people named Israel. And they were given the land of Canaan. And they went in and they conquered the land. And as they looked around at the people around them, they realized that they were different because at the time they didn't have a king. So they said, God, we want you to give us a king. And they cried out to the Lord and he granted them their wish. And he gave them a king by the name of Saul. Saul was a tall in stature and looked very uh, authoritarian, but he actually was a terrible king. And he didn't last very long. He, he, he ruled for a, a time, and then God replaced him with a man named David. And David was a good king, but he was a king of war. And David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. And he went after God, but he also subdued the nations around them and created a, an atmosphere for peace to exist in the, in the kingdom of Israel. His son was a man by the name of Solomon. And when Solomon came in, in this land of peace, he was able to bring prosperity to the nation. And he instituted high taxes, somewhat slave labor, and they would build these, um, they built the temple, they built all these different um, infrastructures within the kingdom, and it was a time of great prosperity. He was a wise king, but he taxed the people, and he worked them hard. And when his son came into power, his name was Rehoboam, his, his son came into power, the people came to him and said, listen, your father brought great prosperity, but he was hard on us. Can you take it easy on us? And Rehoboam went to the, uh, the advisors of his father and said, what do you think about this? And they think, we think this is wise. We think you should listen to the people. And if you do that, you're going to be a great king. But then he went and he went aside. He went to his buddies and he said, hey, guys, what do you think about this? And they said, you need to be even tougher than your father. So the people came back to Rehoboam and said, what do you say? And he says, I say this. If my father was tough, I'm going to be twice as tough. In fact, my pinky is going to be like his thigh. Like, I'm going to be all over it. And the northern kingdom, those other kingdoms, they said, no, we're not having anything to do with this. And see, there was 12 tribes, and roughly 10 of them uh, uh, split off from the southern tribe. So now we have this civil war, and now this nation of Israel is split into two, and we have the northern tribes up here, which are under the king uh, Jeroboam, and we have the southern kingdom down here, which is roughly two tribes. And time goes on. 
In the northern kingdom, uh, there's all sorts of nasty things that happen. There are no good kings. There's about 20 kings that come along, one after the other after the other. There's infighting. There's the worship of idols. They integrate the, the worship that is surrounding them from the nations around them because they don't have the temple that Solomon built. And in the southern kingdom, it kind of goes back and forth. There's about eight really good kings and 12 pretty bad kings. But over time, it becomes apparent that these people have turned their heart from God. And there's warning after warning that if you don't turn back to God, there's going to be judgment. So they've turned from God. And the northern kingdom goes first, the 20 bad kings. The Assyrians come in, they take them out, they're gone. Boom. And all that's left is Judah, the southern kingdom. And, um, and so the southern kingdom is there, and eventually they too fall into rebellion against God. And as judgment, the nations around them come and destroy them and conquer them, specifically Babylon. And this is where we find ourselves in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a young man who was being trained as a priest. Um, that was his vocation. That was his call. And many people believe that the time that uh, he was taken into captivity, he would have been roughly 25 years old. And there was a group that was taken captive into exile by the Babylonians, and they were brought into a foreign land. And the time of this story, Ezekiel has left his refugee camp, and he's walked out to the Kabar River. And he's standing there, and I wonder if the reason that he's standing there is because at the time he would have likely been about 30 years old, which would have been the time that he would have been set in in his priestly duties. I wonder if he was standing there wondering and asking God, God, why am I here? Because I had this call and I had this, this, this thing on my life that I knew I was going to be doing. It made so much sense. But now I've, I've been brought out of that and I'm in a place where I'm uncomfortable. And I'm nowhere near where I need to be. I'm miles and miles and miles away from the temple where I belong. And so here's Ezekiel, this young man going through this turmoil, standing on the riverbank of Kabar by himself in this place of discomfort. It's not going the way that he had planned it. It's not going the way that he thought it would go. And here he stands. And it's in this moment where God arrests his attention. And this crazy vision opens up before him that we do not understand. We can never understand the fullness of that. It just grabs his attention. And on top of it all, there's a man that he sees. And the Bible says he's looking at it and he's trying to figure out what's going on. And then he realizes that it's the glory of God. And he has an encounter with the living God in his place of discomfort. And do you know what happens in that moment? The Bible says that Ezekiel falls flat on his face and he cannot get up. This is an appropriate response to an encounter with God. We see this throughout the Bible, that whenever people encounter God, the first response is to fall before his greatness. In the book of Isaiah, we're told about Isaiah uh, standing before the Lord. Yeah, I've got a scripture here. 
Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, It was the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and he was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And then it goes on to say here later on, it says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among an unclean people. You see, when we encounter the living God for real in our lives, when the authenticity of who God is becomes real in our lives, the, the, the regular human response is to look inward, his greatness. When we come to God as human beings, the first thing that we must realize is that we need him, that we need a savior. Again, in the book of Revelation 1.17, it talks about the Apostle John. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. In the book of Exodus, Moses encounters God. I love this one. Oh, this is so good. Come on. I want to walk beside you. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his name, Yahweh, his own name. That's who I am. And the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to the thousands of generations. That's us, you guys. And I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. And I lay sins of the parents upon their children and their grandchildren. The entire family is affected. And it says, Moses immediately threw himself on the ground and worshiped. That's where it starts. God, you are higher than me. God, you are greater than me. In light of his holiness, the appropriate response is to fall at his feet. That we need him, that we are all sinful, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. That's where it starts. And here's what God does. So good. I've got four points for you this morning that I'm going to pull out of this scripture, okay? Four points. Here's the first one. When God calls you, he empowers you. I love this. Ezekiel 128. All around him was a glowing halo, like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. When I saw it, I fell face down on the ground, and I heard someone speaking to me saying, Stand up, son of man. I want to speak with you. And then it says, The Spirit came into me as he spoke and set me on my feet. See, our appropriate response is to fall in his presence, but this is what God comes to do is restore us back into right standing. See, it's okay to recognize that you're a sinner, but don't, don't hang out there and don't stay there. You can't hang out there, you can't stay there. That's a place of death. But God come that you might have life and life abundantly. And that life is found in him. See, when the, we, are, we, we fall before his feet in the appropriate response, the next thing that always happens is that God comes and he lifts us up. He lifts us up. Remember that scripture I read you earlier from Revelation. When I saw him, I felt his feet as if I were dead. But then it says this. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. In other words, it's not about you. It's about me. I'm the Savior, says the Lord. Amen? When God calls you, he empowers you. 
When you encounter God and you fall into his feet in light of your own sinfulness and your own inability to reach the level of holiness that he calls you to, he says, come on up. That's what God does is he restores. His glory is revealed in restoration. That's what God does. God empowers you. Philippians 2.13, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good purpose. I just thought of another one that I didn't write down. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You are his workmanship. God is working in you right now. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. See, Ezekiel had an encounter with God. He had an encounter with the living God. He fell at his face, but God came along and lifted him up. You know what he did? It? He did it again later. We read it about it here earlier in the book of Ezekiel. He did it again. He fell at his feet, and God lifted him up, filled him up with his presence, and lifted him up. That's what God does. That's who he is. God is the restorer. God is our hope and our salvation. There is nothing that you have done that can separate you from him. So if you're here today and you're feeling down and you've been stuck in this place of, oh man, I'm a failure and I've lost it and I've made mistakes and I'm, I, I, I can't measure up to this thing that God is calling me to, don't worry, just rely on him. Set your face towards him. Set your hope on him. It's called repentance. God, I failed. I messed up. And God says, get up, son. Keep going. The righteous man falls seven times but gets back up again. We are not those that fall back into perdition, but those that press on to the saving of our souls. Come on. We're going to push on. We're not going to give up. We're going to keep going because our God is greater. Amen? That's number one. Number two, our work is to speak. God's work is to save. So here's what God does. He says, listen, Ezekiel, Zeke, you're going to go out to all these people, and they are not going to listen to you. Just so you know, this is going to go very badly for you. But... All I need you to do is speak when I tell you to speak. All I need you to do is declare the truth when I tell you to declare the truth. And let me do my work behind the scenes. How many know that we can't save anybody? Like my intellect can't save anybody. Trust me. I gave you the example earlier. That's how bad it is. I can't save anybody. I'll never forget, though. I'll never forget going to Berlin in uh, 2001, and we were with a group of missionaries. we just come out of Ukraine, and we took a train into Berlin. And uh, our leader said, Matt, he said, well, guys, this morning we're going to go to Reinhard Bonnke's office in Berlin. And Reinhard Bonnke's a great evangelist, passed away recently, spoken to millions and millions and millions of people in Africa all over the world. And he says, oh, I'm on his board. We're going to go and meet with him. And I, was like, I didn't even know what was going on. I was just like, this is cool. Let's do this. And so we went into this office, and I'll never forget, he ushered up into this boardroom, and there he was sitting at the end of the table, and he sat with us for about a half an hour and just began to speak, with, speak over us. 
And I remember him looking at us with these intense eyes and saying, the preaching of the gospel is the most powerful weapon that we have against the kingdom of darkness. Your job is to preach the gospel. Speak it. Speak it. Speak it. Isaiah 55 verse 11 is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all that I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. It's his will. It's his kingdom. It's his glory. It's his salvation. Our job is to speak it. And to live it. Let's go back to that passage, Ezekiel 3, verse 1 through 3. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly, fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate it, and my mouth was like honey, honey in sweetness. We need to get the word inside of us. We need to get that word into us. It's got to become a part of us. I want to be the type of person that when people walk up to me and poke my side, the word of God comes out. That's what I want to be. I love how it says here in Ezekiel 3 verses 9 through 11, it says, I've made your forehead as hard as the hardest of rocks. And then he says, son of man, let all my words sink deep into your own heart first. Listen to them carefully for yourself. Then go to your people in exile and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Before we can go out and speak, we have to have his words inside of us. Not our words. His words inside of us. Come on. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Let's get that word inside of us. That's the Joshua word. Joshua 1.8. Get that word inside of you. Matthew 12.34 says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Oh, I love the word of God. Let's get that inside of us. If you want to get more of Jesus, get more of the word. John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Now the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was the living word. If you want to be more like Jesus, you become the living word. You get that word inside of you, and you let it pop out of every part of you. Amen? All right. That's number two. We're doing good. You guys are doing great. Number three, God's work can only be done through his power. John 15, 5. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we're doing it on our own strength and in our own flesh, and I can do this, and I'm just, I can do this. Ah." It will not produce salvation. It will not produce life. Why? Because God's the one who saves. God's the one who's working through us. It's his word, and we need his power. So let's seek him first. 
and his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to us as well. Isaiah 64 verse 6, we are all infected and impure with sin. And when we display our righteous deeds, there, there are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall. And our, sweeps, uh, our sin sweeps us away like the wind. Just like Ezekiel, when he first encountered God, we must realize that it's not our righteousness. It's not our greatness and it's not our goodness. It's entirely him. It's Christ working in us. Our human attempts at righteousness, the Bible says, just to be blunt, is like filthy rags. But he became sin that you might become the righteousness of God in him. See, when we fall before his greatness and we recognize who he is, he lifts us up and he restores us and he puts us on a path. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps and gave me a new song. That's what he does. He lifts us up and he puts us on the right path. Okay, and now we're going to land this thing. Number four, God will never give up on you. What do we learn from Ezekiel? Why would God cause a man to stand to a rebellious people? Why would God do that now? Right? Why would God do that? Why would God say, I want you to stand up? Do you even realize where they are? Like, they've already lost. Like, judgment has come. They are now in exile in a foreign land, in Babylon, in a refugee camp. Like, really, it can't get any worse. And here's where they are when God says to Ezekiel, speak my word. What is he trying to tell this people? What is he trying to tell the next generation and the next generation and the next generation? My plans will come to pass. And the things that I say are going to happen will happen. And let it be said for the generations to come that there is a God in Israel who does not give up on his people. See, even when we were enemies of God, that's what he sent his son for us to die. See, in the book of Romans chapter 5, it says, when we were utterly helpless... Christ came to us at just the right time and died for us as sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us in this by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Come on, it's nothing that we've done. It's everything that he has done. We were already lost. We were already in the refugee camp. It was over. God said, I will never give up on you. I will never give up on you. He is the Lord and the King eternal. There is no one like him. And he loves you so much that he gave us an example in the name, a man by the name of Ezekiel, who would be assigned to the Israelites and then to the next generation and the next generation and then through time to us. That there is a God who doesn't give up. 
doesn't matter how far you go. It doesn't matter how far you are away from his presence. It doesn't matter. Where can I go to hide from his presence? King David said. But there is nothing, nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing that can separate you from his love. He will never give up on you. Come on, that's a word for somebody today. You need to take that with you this week. When you go into your week and you're facing that temptation, he will not give up on you. You need to take that word with you this week. When you fail and you're hard on yourself and you're beating yourself, just remember there's a God who sent a man named Ezekiel to a people that were already in captivity to declare that he was there and he hadn't given up. This God will not give up on you. Come on, when you're facing darkness this week, he won't give up on you. Our God is here and he is great and he is holy and he is working. Amen. This is our God. This never giving up love continued through the generations until it saw its ultimate expression on the cross to show us that not even death would keep him from us. Not even death. Not even death. When God calls you, he empowers you. We speak, God saves. God's work can only be done through his power. And God will never give up on you. Amen. Amen. Let's respond to that this morning. Can we just have, uh, Graham, would you mind just coming up? Hmm. I'd like just to ask you to just close your eyes for a moment. I don't want to assume that everybody here is a follower of Jesus. And so this morning, again, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you're here today and, and you're saying, I've never bowed my knee to God. I'm still trying to figure it out on my own. Um, but today I realize that there's a real God and that I, I can't do it on my own. You're not alone. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so I just, first of all, if you're here today and you've never put up your hand to receive Jesus before, you've never bowed your knee to God and said, I want you. I want to know you. And I want to walk with you. He is here right now, just like he was with Ezekiel, to restore you and to lift you up. And I promise he will set your feet on a rock. And he will establish your steps. And he'll give you a call and a purpose. And he won't give up on you. 
If there's anybody here today that says, I want to receive that and I want to know God like that. I've never received Jesus before. I wouldn't call myself a Christian, but today I say, I want to know what that means and I want to pursue that wherever you are. If you would just put your hand up. Is there anybody here today? Anybody? Second of all, we're going to do something a little different this morning. If if you're here this morning and you say, Matt, I just need a fresh sense of the presence of God in my life. I need to know his power. Maybe you're like Ezekiel standing on that river going, God, where am I? I'm so far from where I thought I was supposed to be. Can I just remind you that there was a man who stood on that river who was so far from where he thought he was supposed to be, but God was right there working in his midst. Yes. And I want to know if there's anybody here today that just says, I just need some encouragement. I just need to hear from God. I want you to take a step of faith this morning. And I want you to stand. Can we just get the whole church to stand? Can we all just stand, church, just in solidarity? And if you say this morning as an act of faith, just come on up to the front. And we're going to pray with you right now. And I believe that God's going to meet you right here. Hallelujah. Oh, He loves us. He loves us. He will not give up on us. Yeah. Can I invite the prayer team to come up? And let's just gather and let's just pray this morning. Come on, we believe the Holy Spirit is here. God is here. He's working in this place. Hallelujah. And if you're out there and you're not up here, if you wouldn't mind just lifting up your hands and let's just pray. Let's just agree with the prayer team this morning. We're just going to take a few moments here before we close to pray. And then we'll close the service. All I need is Jesus. All I need is Him. All I need is Your Holy Spirit to fill me once again. And all I need is to draw near to listen and hear all I need has been given all I need is here and all I
All I need is your Holy Spirit to fill me once again. Oh, let's lift our hands and sing. lots of wonderful expressions in the Word of God, and I'm just thinking of one. It's it, and it just, a, just a tagline. It says, the God with whom we have to do. The God we're dealing with is the everlasting God, the God who loves you. And may that wonderful love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you want to continue, have personal prayer. There's people that will pray with you. The coffee is on. We're so glad that you're here. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Amen.